what's up? Welcome back to another episode of 200 and Counting. I'm your host, Tia Hill. You know, there's a lot going on in the world, in the United States specifically, if I'm keeping it local. In light of all these discussions we're having about race and about police brutality and about Black people and Black Lives Matter and everything like that, everything's like super Black right now, which is great. But I think it's really interesting right now that there's just like this big focus on like conversations, like racial conversations, which, you know, conversations are cool, but if nothing is changing, then what the hell is the point? But this new focus on racial conversation made me think of a documentary. It's one of my favorites. I actually on the episode of best documentaries of the decade, this was also on the list as number three, and it is called Accidental Courtesy. People always say to me, Daryl, how can you have this stuff? Why don't you burn it? As shameful as it is, you don't burn our history, regardless of the good, the bad, the ugly. And the Ku Klux Klan is as American as baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Accidental Courtesy tells the story of Daryl Davis, who is a black man who has dedicated his entire life to becoming friends with clan members. If you spend five minutes with your arch enemy, you will find that you have something in common with him or her. And the more you find in common and you build upon what you have in common, the things that you have in contrast, like skin color, begin to matter less and less. The reason I thought of this documentary, especially now, is because, well, one, I saw this tweet about how like now all of a sudden people are watching The Help to like learn about race relations in the US, which is like, don't, don't do that. But two, I think people are like eager to have these conversations. And this whole doc centers around the idea of conversations and of talking to people, specifically talking to people who are not on your side about race. Daryl, his whole intention in life is to become friends with clan members and essentially get them to leave the Klan, Klan members, neo-Nazis, whatever. A black man attending KKK rallies where crosses are burning and racist views are being spewed. How do you talk to someone when someone's calling you the N-word? Because you take the higher road. You know who you are. As I said in the episode about the best documentaries of the decade, this was one of the wildest docs that I've ever seen. I say that so much. I say that everything is the wildest doc I've ever seen, but I'm only gonna do episodes and docs that are wild, you know? Like, who wants a boring one, you know? But part of the reason that it's so wild to me is that it highlights a man who is living a life that I previously knew nothing about. I did not know who he was. I did not know why he would do this, I did not understand. And it sheds a light on somebody doing something that you just would not even think exists. So Daryl Davis, he is a black man. He lives in Silver Spring, so he's in the DMV. And he was like born in Chicago, I think, something like that. And he, he just was like a really, he is an interesting guy. He lived abroad. He had all these diverse experiences. I think his dad was like an ambassador or something to that effect. So he went to school. He like lived around the world. He went to school with all sorts of different kids. He was like, yeah, like I'm used to seeing all these colors. I think that his background is really important for his story because he refers to it a lot. And he refers to the fact that because the way he grew up, he did not understand race in the same way that you know, I might understand race having been a black, growing up a black woman in the US. Everybody's understanding of race is different. And I think globally, the understanding of race is very different. The black experience is not universal. It's not universal within the United States and it's not universal around the world. So, you know, as a man who has traveled around the world, obviously his ideas of race are a little bit different than everyone else's. He tells this story about how he was one of two black kids at his school in Massachusetts, which is insane to me. I think his dad moved there for like work reasons or something. I just literally cannot imagine. And this is like in his fourth grade class, he was the only black person and there were two black kids in his school. I literally cannot imagine that hell. But he also told a story of how when he was younger, he first experienced racism because he was the only black 
black kid in the little Cub Scout parade. And then someone threw like bottles at him. They started throwing things at him. And he was like, why, why are people doing that to me? And then he went home and his parents were like, it's because you're black. And some people just don't like you because of the color of your skin. And he was like, you must be out of your mind. And he was like, why would someone hate me just because of the color of my skin? Having been all over the world by age 10, I saw all kinds of colors of people. We all got along. And so now you're going to tell me somebody doesn't like somebody else's skin color and they're going to throw things at you? It, it was incomprehensible to me. And I think that that story is especially interesting because part of his philosophy for like why he wants to understand the Klansman is he's trying to show them, you know, you hate all black people, but like here I am. So, you know, do you hate me? Do you hate me? He goes on to say he went to Howard University. He like studied music. He's a great musician. He does like blues, rock and roll, country. He played in a country band. And he said one of his first interactions with the Klan was he went out to Frederick, Maryland. I am from Maryland. I talk about it all the damn time. So you all already know, especially if you listen to this podcast, I've mentioned it, you know, at least once per episode. But Maryland is a very interesting state because where I am from and up and down 95 from Baltimore down to PG and Montgomery County, there's those are the only counties we acknowledge. Baltimore County, Baltimore City, Howard County, Anne Arundel, PG, and Montgomery County. All the other counties, I don't know what they do out there and it don't matter because that is just a different experience. So he was in Frederick, Maryland and I have only been to Frederick to go to the Cracker Barrel out there. Obviously, in these recent times, people are just now figuring out the Cracker Barrel is problematic. Cracker Barrel racist as hell. They got a sign in the up in the front of the restaurant that says they don't discriminate based on race. That's how you know. But sometimes my dad would have a taste for Cracker Barrel. So we'd drive 45 minutes out to Frederick, eat at the Cracker Barrel, be the only black people there, and then drive 45 minutes right back into civilization where we live. Anyway, he was out in Frederick, Maryland, and he was playing with this country band. And this white guy comes up to him and he's like, I've never heard black a black man play guitar like that. I'm sorry. That was, I did not need to do that. But anyway, a white man came up to him, complimented him on his guitar skills. He was like, you know, this is actually the first time I've ever sat down with a black man and had a drink. And then Daryl was like, why? His friends were like, oh, tell him. And he's like, well, I'm in the clan. And Daryl was like, what? And you know, he said they had a nice conversation and that was that. And so, you know, over time he was like, I guess, seeking out other Klansmen and meeting Klansmen around Maryland and around the country and befriending them. And his whole thing is like, well, the more you talk to someone, the more convincing them not to be racist, essentially convincing them not to be racist. Oh, he's a friend of mine, Daryl Davis. He was taking the Grand Dragon of the Klan to uh, do an interview and uh, at Howard University, and I was one of the bodyguards. And Daryl drove us down. He was our butler. Or, or uh, not butler, but a chauffeur. He was our chauffeur. I have some problems with this. I have some problems with this. My main one being that, like, this is just the classic, like, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. He considers a lot of these Klansmen his friends, right? Some of them, when they leave the Klan, they give him their robes. And he has a collection of robes. He says he has dozens of Klan robes, Klan memorabilia. He has flags. He has pins. He's got buttons. He's got papers, all sorts of things. And he's like, this is our history. You don't burn our history. I'm like, listen. This is not our history. This is white America's history that was put on us. Our history as it relates to the Klan is it is a terrorist. It's a terrorist organization. I don't even think the US government has declared it a terrorist organization, but it is. The Klan, which was formed in 1865, I believe, after the Civil War by um, Nathan Bedford Forrest, who the character Forrest Gump is named after in the movie. He was one of the first leaders in the Klan. And basically they would ride around in their dumbass little cheat candy ass monkey suit 
execute things and ride around terrorizing and torturing and lynching black people. They were doing this well into the 20th century. Don't get it twisted. They were. The clan and clan membership ebbs and flows with US history. And you can tell if you look at a graph of like clan membership over the years, over the hundreds of years, it's usually when there's some big racial reckoning going on. In Reconstruction, there were a lot. In the 20s, there were a lot, which is also around the time that there were a lot of legislation passed around immigration. And then that's when the clan started focusing on like, I think like immigrants from different European countries too. So, you know, we see all of these surges of the clan, but Daryl's like, you know what? It's cool. Cause like, this is US history and like, we have to remember this. So he collects the robes. How many robes like this do you think you have? I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say. I got a bunch of them, a couple dozen or more. And they each represent a different person. Yes. Who is no longer in the clan. That is correct. He also did an interview. This is not included in the documentary, I don't think, but he does an interview. And the the woman interviewing him is like, have you ever tried them on? He was like, of course I have. Wouldn't you? And she was like, uh, no. You had a robe. You go inside your bedroom. You probably wouldn't tell anybody you tried on. I know, I I know you would. I really would. I know you I would. I really wouldn't. <laughs> I can tell you with certainty I wouldn't. Hell no, hell no. And then there's like a shot in the documentary where he's coming home and like he keeps them just hanging in his garage. So he just like opens the garage door. There's just like four clan robes just hanging with the hood. I was like, oh, fuck no. Fuck no, baby. Throughout the documentary, mainly what they're showing is him talking to his different clansmen friends. I think this documentary is really interesting because you learn a lot about this group, which is interesting. I will say that. Is it interesting enough that I would ever do some shit like this? Fuck no. But it is interesting to learn about from afar, which is part of the reason why I like the documentary so much, because it is interesting that he's going in there and getting this information out of them. The, the storyline of the documentary is a little bit disjointed in that there is no clear through line. It's about this man, but it doesn't necessarily start with where he's from. It just kind of starts with a tour of the DMV. And then it's like the clan. And then it's like, this is where I'm from and race and there's like all these random like the civil rights movement and they try to do like a history lesson and there's it's just like a lot it feels more like random clips sometimes that they just like plopped him into than it does like this is the story of daryl davis and this is the story of what he's trying to do by that same logic though it's very hard to quantify the the impact that he's had because as far as we see he's just talking to random clan members who honestly still seem racist and the spectacle is supposed to be like wow look at this clansman who is like friends with this black man like Wow. Davis is one of the few African-Americans you will ever find attending a KKK rally. More than attending, he is welcome. I got more respect for that black man than I do you white niggers All out right. there. I have so many issues with that. One, like I was saying, it's kind of like, I'm not racist, this is my black friend type of thing. It's these Klansmen being like, yeah, like I fucking hate black people, but you know, this guy, he seems like he's all right. And Daryl accepts that as like, you know what? Well, they're not racist now. There's a certain level of, you have to be a certain type of person in order to interact with another certain type of person. They obviously have things in common that they can talk about. Daryl is like a very mild mannered person and he tries to use like all this logic on them, but he also doesn't push back as much as I would be happy about, you know, like, do we know that they're not racist anymore or are, are we just taking their word for it because they didn't fucking attack you when you walked through the door? You know what I mean? It doesn't really take into account modern day hate groups versus what they were in the 1860s when we were literally, we had just gotten out of slavery. That is 
is a very different, you know, there are a lot of things that you could get away with back then that you can't get away with now. So I highly doubt that he's going to step in a room and they're just going to go full force, you know, burning crosses in his face. That's not going to happen. So I think his standard for like what is racist in the friendship is pretty low, but you know, all right. I remember one relationship he talked about was that he'd gone on the show with this family of clans people, I guess that is the gender neutral um, term. And they were all in there talking about how much they hate black people, blah, 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 love white supremacy, the whole nine yards. The dad ends up doing 10 years in prison for something. I don't even care. But he was like, you know, and then I decided to call the mom and then I drove the mom and the daughters down to visit the dad in prison. And no one had in the clan had ever done that for them before. And then they're like, this man is so good. And then the daughter ends up marrying a black man. And I was like this, you know, that they're into some weird shit. Like this girl was in the clan. It's framed very much so as like, he's the exceptional one. He is the, he is the, he's the exception to the rule of black people. You know, they're like, I will tolerate black people, but I'll, I'll tolerate him, you know, and people who are like him. And he's a very special case because like I said before, he did not grow up necessarily in a quote, normal you know, black community or at which, and I'm not faulting him for that, but I am saying that that allows him certain privileges in terms of being able to talk to people and being able to connect with people and how he views race and race relations in the U.S., which is very, very different than the average black person might. One of the main points that he makes when he, he gives lectures, you know, he was in The Wire, he was an actor, whatever. One of the points he makes, he makes, he says two things that stuck out to me. One was keep the lines of communication open with your adversaries, which, you know, I think keeping tabs on your enemies, that is one thing. And I do support that. Keeping the lines of communication open, I I can't really vibe with. There's a famous quote from Stokely Carmichael, who is a civil rights leader and Trinidadian God. And he says, in order for nonviolence to work, your opponent must have a conscience. That really stands out to me because that's all I could think the entire time. Daryl Davis is preaching, you know, get to know them on like a human level, da, 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 da. And, you know, sure, we're all one race, the human race. But I also think like there has to come a point where things are just about morals and things are just about right and wrong. And sometimes, in my opinion, there's not always a gray area. The Klan has a history of literally torturing and assaulting black people. So to me, I'm not about to sit down and be like, you know, why do you hate black people? You know, if you want to just tell me that's not a conversation that I'm willing to have. Now, do I, to an extent, admire him for being able to do that? Yes, sure. But I also just don't care what they think. You know, that does not keep me up at night. My my beef with racism is not like, oh my God, white people don't like me. I don't give a fuck if they like me or not. Sure, you don't. Okay. But his life goal is to change minds. Whereas to me, I think that our goals need to be centered more in uplifting the black community, uplifting one another. In terms of changing minds, I think white people who want to be allies, go change the minds. If your uncle is a Klansman, you go talk to him. I am not going to do that because often black people, after being disrespected and abused in this country for hundreds and hundreds of years are still expected to turn the other cheek and be the bigger person and be like, you know what? I'm still going to be super nice and hold your hand and take take my time through this. It happens every day, whether it's in a work situation, just like regular interpersonal relationships, you know, black people are kind of expected to be like, oh, well, you know, and I think that his story feeds into the narrative of, you know, the magical Negro or like the good Negro that is like so forgiving and just so nice. And we're just so, you know, sit here and let me hold the hand of this racist white person while they, you know, I convince them not to be racist. One other thing that he mentioned was he said, how can you hate me if you don't even know me? That was like his, his big, question, you know, that he wants to answer. I don't give a fuck if you hate me and you don't know me. I do not care. That don't, that is not my business. Okay. That's your business. You hate me. You deal with it. I'm not about to sit here and convince your ass. What? 
No. So that's kind of like the way that he's looking at everything. And that to me, that was strange. He does a lot of the, they show a lot of these interviews with Klansmen, um, some who have left the Klan already, who are still clearly a little bit uncomfortable with like being, you know, there was not a single person, I don't think, who genuinely convinced me that they were no longer racist. Cause it's one thing, there are white people right now who relative to the Klan, you know, they were just a peach and they're unlearning racism, let alone somebody who was in a hate group. You know how much effort you got to put in to be in the Klan? You got to, what do you, where do you sign up? Like, I don't even like what? So I'm not hundred percent convinced that they are no longer racist. I mean, they have a black friend now and they can pair it back to him, the things that he's telling them. But I don't think, how are you treating the average black person? You know what I mean? How are you treating black people that aren't your little friend? That's what I'd like to know. One of the former clan leaders, Frank Ancona, I think is his name, who actually died recently. He gives Daryl a certificate of friendship. Thank you very much. It says, traditionalist American Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, certificate of friendship presented to Daryl Davis in recognition for his friendship and contributions to the traditionalist American Knights and demonstrating true friendship. While I don't necessarily agree with his uh, separatist ideology, uh, I consider Frank Ancona to be a friend of mine. Actually, I consider him to be a very good friend of mine. And then there's a scene where Daryl like helps him fix his clan hood. And I was like, this is sick. This is fucking, this is sickening. It's not like it's like a social club where like he describes it. He said, actually, he thinks of the clan as a culture. I've been in 53 different countries. I've been exposed to many, many different cultures, races, religions, socioeconomic statuses, etc. I look at the, at the Ku Klux Klan as simply just another culture. I didn't look at them in the same way I might have looked at them had I grown up in this country and had to fight bigotry, you know, my whole life. That is not a culture. That is a hate group, Daryl. That is a hate group. And they happen to just not hate you. And you happen to, to be OK with that. You happen to be OK enough with them hating black people as a whole. So in the scene where he fixes that man's clan hood, for some reason, that just really like it just hit me. I was like, I do not like the look of this at all. Absolutely not. It made it seem like a very trivial, like, aha, uh -huh, look at the black man fixing the man's clan hood. And I think images like that trivialize the seriousness of the clan and of the situation in regards to race in the United States, if we're being honest with you. It's serious. And I think people overlook the injustices that have gone on in this country at the hands of, of oppressors. And that scene just blew my mind. But it's also what makes the documentary so good because where else are you gonna see something like that? I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that this is real. What was interesting was at one point he goes and speaks to one of the um, leaders of the Southern Poverty Law Center. And the Southern Poverty Law Center, they monitor hate groups throughout the United States. I remember they came to speak at my school and I really wanted to work there. And then I was like, this would be a very depressing job, but they're doing great work. This man at the Southern Poverty Law Center, this is a white man, he had no time for it. He was not not having it. He was like, okay, well, I'm sure that he's nice to his wife and kids, but he still spreads hate on a public, on a public platform. So we're not here to have coffee with them. He was not, he was, he said, that is it. We're shutting this shit down right now. No, no. And I was like, go ahead. Go ahead, Mr. SPLC. Go ahead. Our intention is, if possible, to destroy these groups. Uh, if that's not possible, to marginalize them politically. We've helped a lot of people out of groups, but we don't go in and have coffee uh, with the Klan leader at all. I mean, my experience has been that, by and large, people come out of these groups when they're ready to. So, you know, over the course of the documentary, like I said, there's no real through line to this. That's why I'm just bringing up random interviews that he did, because that's really all it is. But one moment... 
that stood out to me the most of the documentary. That is the reason why, you know, a lot of times when people on Twitter defend him or people that I've spoken to are like, well, you know, he's doing it his way. I always point to this one scene in the documentary because this is the moment that really rubbed me the wrong way. While I do think, yes, if you feel so moved to go and befriend clan members because you just want to see what it's about because you have some, you know, you just like the risk. I don't know. Go ahead. However, something that was interesting was his relationship with the black community, because ultimately, like you're going in here trying to convince them not to be racist and you're a black man and whatever. But do you stand for the rest of the black community? Do you represent the rest of us or are you just happen to be black and you're using like the privilege that you have because there's a certain amount of privilege involved here? Are you just using that privilege to leverage to get in with these groups and then for why, you know? At one point, this documentary came out in early 2016, like before the election, I believe. He goes to Baltimore and this was following the Baltimore uprising in 2015, following the death of Freddie Gray at the hands of the Baltimore City Police Department. You know, a lot had happened in the city. It was a very, it was just like a wild, a wild time and it changed the course of Baltimore City. And so he goes to Baltimore and he is talking to some activists from the city and the conversation that they have is crazy. The way that he speaks to them because he already coming into it hot. He's looking down at them. He's being condescending. He says to someone like Kwame Rose, who is a big activist in this city said, you know, like I dropped out of college, da, 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 da. This man is marching in the damn streets. And then Daryl Davis want to talk about, oh, this is coming from my college dropout. Like what the who says that to somebody? First of all, I thought we all agreed college is a sham. If we're being honest, the tone that he was taking with them and the way he was talking down to them really, really, really did not sit well with me. Their main point was, you know, we need to empower the black community. We need to do all this stuff. Yes, I get it. They're young, but also, you know, they're talking about things that we can do for the black community. All he's talking about is why don't you sit down with white supremacists and convince them to like you? And as they were saying, they're like, how is that going to stop mass incarceration? How is that going to stop people getting their asses beat and people getting killed? By police every damn day if we're just sitting sitting around talking to the clan and they were like this is weird this is weird that you do this why do you collect them like what so since 1990 which is longer than i've been alive you've been trying to infiltrate the clan but okay. what does that do for people that's a whole lot of years to be doing that to be studying it's not like a fetish be friending a white person who don't have to go through the same struggles as you me the son in the barbershop or that father that's not an accomplishment that's a new friend that's somebody you can call. And this is coming from a dropout. You don't tell Steve Jobs he ain't successful. He ain't have no college degree. Bill Gates ain't got no college degree. But listen, but what I got, what I, the way I'm being disrespectful now. The way you can be in the streets building with people, right? So stop wasting your time going into people's houses that don't love you, a house where they want to throw you under the basement. So you believe that nobody can change? No, you, I believe you believe the wrong people can change. Daryl Davis, the way he spoke to them in that moment was I unacceptable because I was like, OK, so then the one conversation you have with black activists, you coming at them crazy. But mind you, when he's talking to all these Klansmen who are talking about we shouldn't mix races and da 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 da. He remains calm and he wants to do whatever, whatever. But when he has to talk to black people, then all of a sudden he got an attitude. So I was like, all right. Then another activist, J.C. Falk, comes over and he was like, I do not want to shake your hand because the way you spoke to those young men, da, 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 da. he lit him up. I was like, go ahead. You calling somebody ignorant? You might want to check your own ignorance around this before you start calling my young men in Baltimore who are out here putting their lives on the line. Kwame marches hard with me in Baltimore. Kwame gets arrested in Baltimore. Where were you when the marches were going on? You were sitting with your clan people. If you can't respect black people and respect my people for doing the work that they're doing, take your ass and you hang out with them. Don't come to Baltimore 
doing this shit again. Period. He, I think, lives in this world where racism is as easy as like, if we convince all the racists not to be racist, then it's solved. Yay. I think over the past, you know, decade, but especially in the past four years, we've seen racism is like a new Cadillac. It comes in a different model every year. That's what Malcolm X said. And that is what we're seeing now more than ever. And because of that, it's not as easy as just changing people's minds when there's institutions in place. It's so, so, so much bigger on an indi- than an individual thing. And something that they point out is that what he's doing is, is very self-serving. He doesn't have any direct benefit to any other black people other than himself after he convinces this man to leave the clan. You know what I mean? Like unless that man leaves the clan and then starts volunteering at like a youth center, which honestly I don't even know if I would want that, but whatever. You know, unless they're doing something to give back to the black community, how are you even guaranteeing that anything good is being done. But overall, like I said, I think that the storyline was kind of strange because the Black Lives Matter thing came like way after they first mentioned Black Lives Matter. So I was like, this doesn't really make sense. It seems like it was more like they spent however much time with him going around with him. And he just kind of was like, let's do this. Let's do this. And then they put it all together and made it a documentary, which was fine only because every single interview was interesting. The order ever barely made any damn sense. But what they were saying was really, really interesting. And it was very eye-opening in the sense that it was the first time that I had seen conversations like that. I did not know people like this existed. So I was like, wow, do I agree with him? Absolutely not. But was it interesting to learn about from a distance? Absolutely, yes. In terms of how it was shot, there were at least like four different times where there was something in the corner of the of the lens on the camera. And I was like, I can't, I cannot deal with this. You better punch in on that shot and get rid of that. What was that? I don't know if it was like the, the I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it was there. It was like a speck of dust, but it was in different scenes. And I was like, oh my God. They also had like kind of random B-roll selections at times when he's talking about being in the bar in Frederick, they show random B-roll. I don't know if it was from a movie, whatever, of these white people in a bar with Confederate flags in the background, but it's not addressed. I would assume it's from the movie that they refer to previously, but because they don't show the B-roll all at once and they're not talking about it, I was like, okay, this is a little bit weird. Then they don't do that again throughout the documentary. So I was like, that's strange. I don't know what was up with the color correction situation, but I was like, was this filmed on like three different cameras? Because Lord. But you know, those are just my my little technical notes. But you know, overall, I do think that this documentary is genuinely one of the most interesting things that I've ever seen. Interesting in so, so many different ways. In the ways that he talks about the Klan, him as a black man, and also in the way that he seemed to be the odd one out. One thing that I noticed throughout the course of the doc was that a lot of times when he was giving these lectures, it was white people going to hear him speak, which I thought was very interesting. That was something that kind of also rubbed me the wrong way because it was white people going to hear him speak. And then when he talks to the black activists, they are just not having it with him. I think it's very telling because I think a lot of times white people want to take the side of, they want to hear about a black person that is empath- that is empathetic and being nice because there's this fear that black people want revenge for the things that have happened in this country. And so here is someone who's like, no, 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 no. We don't want that. I just want to like convince clan members that they shouldn't be racist. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like a nice feel good story without having to examine the deeper layers of that issue. The deeper, la- the deeper layers being that a lot of these clan members were talking about they like the heritage and the history of the clan. The history of the clan is violence, is racial violence and terrorism. So what 
about that makes you want to talk to them and get to know them as people. You know what I mean? Like you're not a good person if you're doing that kind of thing. It's not like you just have some inherent bias. No, you joined a group. You're wearing some little dumbass hood with some freaking eye holes cut out of it because you don't want your face shown because you're also a punk. That's what that tells me. But I just, I do think it's interesting that his rhetoric is often parroted by mainly like white liberals who are like, oh, this is, and then it sends a message of like, well, look at this black guy. Why can't the rest of you be like this? Why can't the rest of you just like accept the history and just move on with it? And it's like, well, no, I would give this documentary four stars. The only reason it's not getting five is because the filming, like it could have, if it were filmed better and the story was more moving and there was like a thesis statement, I think that would really drive it up to five for me. If there was like a clear, this is what you're getting out of it. Because at the end of me watching it every single time, I'm really just like, you know, at this point, this is probably my fourth time watching the documentary. And I, every single time I'm just like mind blown, but I just don't really know what I've gotten out of it. You know, really, I've just watched a bunch of clan Klansmen be racist and talk to this black man and then him be like, yeah, four stars because it is so freaking interesting. It is so interesting. And also kind of infuriating, like you're going to be like, you will definitely have some thoughts about it. You're definitely going to be talking to the screen. It's one of the most interesting things that I've ever watched because it genuinely, it genuinely made me think. It genuinely takes an issue and it makes you look at both sides of it. Because as much as I do not agree with Daryl Davis, I do think that the story is intriguing to me. And it's interesting because it gives me that cognitive dissonance of like, which side is it? And then by the end, when he gets to the Black Lives Matter conversation, I was very firmly on the side of not him. But it was so interesting to be able to see these conversations being had because it's something that you don't see often. And it was just so bizarre, you know? It also reminds me just how big this country is, how many like weird, just how much goes on in this country. Now, this came out four years ago. The country has changed so much, so much, so much since then. But I wanted to highlight it because it is just an example of the types of conversations that are going on. I don't think that this is a productive conversation. I'd be very interested to know what he thinks of the things that are going on now, because right now I think is the most dangerous time to have conversations like this, because to be moderate during a time where things are clearly going wrong is just like madness, you know? That's just crazy to me. And he's kind of adopted this weird, this weird movement to himself. And I don't really see how it's helping anybody. So I'm really not about it. But it was entertaining as hell to see. And it was just kind of like, what in the world? In terms of if you are trying to learn about race relations in the United States and you want to learn about black history, this may not be the documentary for you to watch because I don't want you getting the wrong message of you know, all black people are like Daryl Davis or should be like Daryl Davis. He's a very unique man. He has his own mission. He's doing his thing. And it's similar to like how people went and watched the help. It's like, that isn't the messaging we're trying to send here. But if you just want to watch something that's interesting about race and it's just going to really like mess with your head, especially right now, then definitely, definitely, definitely give it a watch. And, you know, go ahead back and check out my best documentaries of the decade episode. I've now done two episodes on docs from that list because conveniently, like six of the best documentaries of the decade for me were about black people. So, you know, go take a look at the episode if you haven't listened already. But thank you all so much for listening to the podcast and I will see you on the next episode.